Thanks, everybody, for joining me for another edition of Conversations with Dr. Cowan and Friends. Uh, and I, I'm not actually, it's, is it Karen or Karen? Karen. Karen? No, Karen is fine. Yeah. Karen. All right. So uh, I, I tell everybody, I give these sort of ridiculous introductions. And if you hear anything that you do, do, either don't like or disagree with, then you can correct me <laughs> in a minute. Um, so as you people have found out, some of the friends are people who I actually I'm just meeting at the at, during the interview because I've heard about their work or something. And some of the friends I've known for 30, 40 years. And you fall in that middle ground. And I'm trying to think, I, I, without you know, getting into too much sort of confidential stuff, but I, I think I met Delmar first, probably yes. 20 some years ago. And I think it was due to some things that you were maybe not happy with. And then we talked about it and I think you got happier with them. <laughs> Although I'm not 100% sure exactly what happened. Uh, as a result of that, um, well, not as a result of that, but somewhere soon after that, I think what happened was you, you changed careers. Now, I don't mean as a result of that, but you started doing something that I think was more in line with what you want us to do with your life. And then you ended up on this farm, which then I visited probably 15 years ago. Not sure, maybe 10, maybe. 2012, 2012. 2012, yeah. 2012, about 10 years ago. And I think there was some sort of workshop and it was very impressive. And I think not, not, the, not my, my talk, but your farm. And, <laughs> and then um, you, you at that time, I was very clear that one of you or both of you knew a lot about uh, growing herbs and making them into tinctures. And that's something that I'm very interested in. And I think, and then I got, I think I got you interested in Ashitaba, although I may be incorrect about that. But um, so again, please correct me. And then we lost touch and then we tried to carry your stuff and then we lost touch. And then I said to Asher, we've got to find somebody who makes an Ashitaba tincture and bitters. That's what I was looking for because I like bitters. I, I think I, I take bitters, I, I eat bitter food. I, I think in general, Americans, probably more than Americans, just don't eat bitter food because they don't like it, obviously. And, and obviously there's a sort of good reason for that, you know, bitter means don't eat it, but a little bit of bitter has a lot of good effects and we didn't have anything bitters and I wanted it. And so I found out that you were making it and Ashitaba. And I said, we've got to reconnect with them, find out if they're even possible to help us uh, provide this to people. And that's how we ended up uh, doing this new venture together, which is to, you know, for us to help uh, give, make your tinctures available. 
So again, if I got anything wrong, please correct me. But uh, with that intro, uh, I would love for you to tell us who you are, how you got into this. And then it's just a very simple question. You know, what are you doing there that's different than anybody else who may be making tinctures? Because there is a difference. And um, yeah, then maybe tell us why Ashitaba and what do your bitters have and any of the other stuff that you're carrying. And anyways, welcome and thanks for joining me today and for partnering with us in this little venture. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well done. Not, no major things, maybe slightly different timings, but, uh, but generally excellent. Um, so I, I'm not a, hopefully it's okay. I mean, I went to you with an autoimmune uh, problem and you were the only one that was able to help me. Um, so I have to acknowledge that. Uh, and I think that was in 2004. So not quite as long ago as we think, but it was, it was quite substantial time ago. Yeah. And uh, an evolution in my life was, yes, I worked for a, a big private uh, fam, uh, fa family estate in, in the peninsula of the Bay Area. But I was the head gardener there and there was 50, five, zero employees and a massive thing. I was there 20 years, but uh, I decided I wanted to, to be more active in the world as far as uh, trying to farm and, and kind of get some street credibility, as we sometimes call it, street creds, and, and really learn how to um, grow medicinal plants, ornamental plants, um, bio, and all biodynamically. So that is, I mean, my interest in biodynamics goes back almost uh, over 30 years, um, but really making a farm is when Karen and I teamed up. Um, was and, that previous oh, job, was that a biodynamic farm or no? It was a, a, a state garden. I did, we, we made our own compost and uh, very impressively, it was thousands of cubic yards a year. Uh, it wasn't a small compost pile in the backyard. It was a massive production. And those were all uh, inoculated with the biodynamic preparations that are used to enhance certain processes in that compost yeah. making. So not truly a biodynamic organism and not a farm, but uh, with biodynamic uh, influence let's put it that way yeah um, we, we by the way i did a, a, a interview not so long ago with robin and shelly hulbert who are making and providing the biodynamic preps from their small farm in new hampshire so people are probably a little bit familiar with what that is but anyways go ahead so karen and i connected uh what in 2010 2010 and maybe yeah. you want to take the story from there well, um, in 2010, um, I escaped New York after living in New York for about 12 years, um, exactly 12 years, like a Jupiter cycle. Um, and um, previous to that, I, I grew up in Switzerland and my parents were um, naturopaths, like my grandmother was a naturopath and she had a line of, uh, she made dietary supplements, my parents made dietary supplements. And uh, my grandmother actually started a colon hydro spa, like uh, um, and, uh, in 1928, actually in Switzerland, like in rural parts wow. of Switzerland, which turned into quite a fancy operation and people from all over the world came, but um, how every organism is kind of blooms and then dies, like uh, um, um, all this eventually fell apart. And while uh, when I was growing up, like in Switzerland, like pretty much every family member was like involved into the whole thing. 
And there was really, I could not find my space in this organism. So I ended up going to art school and becoming a designer because Karen is good at drawing. So you go to art school. And um, I ended up in New York, like, uh, uh, and escaping a family clan where I um, adored the work, but um, there were many egos involved. So um, 12 years later, um, I, keeping it short, um, I was kind of done with New York and uh, had a midlife crisis, like six times, seven years, 42 years when the fire comes back. Um, I ended up in Esalen, um, in <laughs> farm and garden kind of uh, farming after being a designer and working on branding kind of in New York City, like uh, with big accounts in my own studio. I ended up in Esalen and- um, So you'd had no real experience with gardening or farming, but more with natural medicine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that uh, was my background. And then when I started farming in 2012, um in Esalen um I for me the quintessence was like okay I want to heal with food with plants but doing it differently than my parents did because as you said there was no farming aspect involved even though the generation before my mom's uh, parents were farmers and yada 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 but like uh, uh, for me the connection with um having my hands in the dirt and having the connection to the plants like from the, the seed, the sowing to the value adding and healing with the plants like uh, was crucial to me. And um, so I started kind of a new career, but almost connecting the dots and uh, um, closing a circle like 12 years ago. And um, things started flowing for me again. And I met this handsome young man. Here. Taught her everything she knows. <laughs> so um, then when I met like, uh, believe it or not, on greensingles.com. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. That, are you serious? That's where you met? Yeah. Wow. That's absolutely true. Um, and we started farming together right away. Um, and that was 12 years ago. And it all started on this where you um, visited us. Um, that was a small farmstead. It was a quarter acre, but we already had two cows. Um, and Blossoms, actually, the name of our company um, was Delmar's first cow. Uh -huh. and uh um yeah and so we started on that so from the get-go you didn't want this to be a garden as much as a farm yeah. right right yeah I, mean, hybrid. I would call it a hybrid yeah well there was like delmar's background is also i mean my background was more uh medicinal like in Delmar's background was more horticultural at that point, like where we yeah. even landscaped in the beginning together with landscaping clients like over the hill, like in Los Gatos and like, uh, but then there was always a very playful and uh, and also a spiritual aspect to, to the, the work with nature that we both do. So we were never really into row crops and um, we, there had to be a certain amount of creativity involved like Delmar is a tenor like I used to be a designer like uh, so there always had to be um, like I said a playfulness uh, being involved so our first CSA was actually uh, unusual edibles like anything that you don't find at a different farmer which was also covering a niche because we had to make a living with all this right. and um, like what yeah. was what was some examples of unusual edibles um so i we have an interest in uh 
Andean tuberous crops. There's right. a very, uh, you know, potato, the potato came from the Andes, but there's many others. There's Oka, it's called, there's yeah. a Mashua and all these things. So for example, having oddball things like that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even I think at points we had a leaf of Ashitaba that we would put in a box, just one leaf, mm-hmm. um, just to, to introduce, because actually as, I don't know if you cook with it, but uh, it, it has a distinctive flavor that is is fine to cook with too, even with, with all yeah. its medicinal components. So um, what else did we do? Yeah, light. From the yeah, light. So there's a, a, a vine called, um, usually called light root or cinnamon yeah. vine. It's Dioscoria batatis is one uh, botanical name. That's in the uh, uh, yam family uh, related yeah. to yams. Uh, and that forms this enormous, uh, up to four feet foot long tuber uh, that is harvested usually in its second year. And if you cut it open, it has this incredible mucilaginous white flesh that uh, Rudolf Steiner, the, uh, uh, maybe everyone knows Rudolf Steiner on your side. I don't know, but the uh, Austrian uh, philosopher, uh, esotericist, scientist, who said that's the, the plant that um, concentrates the most light ether of any plant in the world and that humans should be eating it uh, yeah. or, or working with it also medicinally. And you, if you look at it, you can see it. And Karen wants to add something. Yeah, too. no, because I mean, if you look at it, it's one of those vegetables or plants like uh, where the doctrine of signatures like uh, is just incredibly beautifully uh, um, shown. Like it actually likes to grow in, in sand and sand is crystallized sunlight. So it's a sun being. Um, and um, carrots, for example, they grow as like a, an arrow towards the center of the earth. But uh, lightwood is almost the opposite. It is the opposite. It's like a teardrop. It gets thicker at the bottom. Like, uh-huh. uh, so the gesture is not earthly. The gesture is kind of pointing towards heavens, like towards the cosmos. And um, it is a vine. And it's the most beautiful vine um, with heart-shaped leaves. And it works yeah, on I've actually grown it. I never got any tubers, but I got a beautiful yeah. plant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, it, it's a very special. Um, when Steiner said it contains ether, I mean, you look at a plant and you understand it. Like uh, the way yeah. it grows, the the its signatures and like uh, um, and the, the way it works on the human being as well. Yeah. Okay. So there you are growing. Mashua and o- Oka and Yakon and a little bit of Ashitaba yeah, yeah, right. and giving that to people as essentially medicinal foods, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then what happens? Well, we had to move uh, from the place you visited uh, and we moved down the road just a couple miles. In fact, we had to walk our cows on New Year's Day uh, over there, which was quite, we had a caravan, felt like the presidential uh, caravan. Through the redwoods. Uh, yeah. We had cars in front and back and then these cows uh, that Karen was leading. But anyway, I, I digress. Uh, and we were at a bigger site, um, about a five acre property uh but that was never a long-term solution so where we're at now is well and and there is where we had the csa the community sustained agriculture but that's also where we were approached by um at this point we weren't uh selling at farmers markets yet we had a little 
um, farm stand at a busy street, like at one corner of our farm. And we got a reputation for uh, nettle pestos, for nettle right. sodas, for all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, so already at that point, always value adding. And um, so we got approached by the farmer's market manager um, of the Santa Cruz farmer's markets, and he was totally into bitters and he really wanted us um, to sell the bitters at the farmer's market. But that started a one year long um, encounter with the FDA. <laughs> so um, we had to go through all those hoops and kind of fall on our knees and apologize, yada, 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 and all those things. And uh, to come to the point where we were allowed to sell at farmers markets. And that started that year um, on that farm. So did you have any experience making bitters or any tincture before that, or was that new? Um, it, I mean, I was helping my parents and we were, uh, I mean, I kind of, the, the making part was, I started herbalist trainings and all that. Yeah, like, uh, right. so basically once I'm, my personality is like, when I was a designer, I was obsessed with design. And the minute I started farming and I like, working with plants, I was just obsessed and diving into plants, like in lots of workshops and, and um, right. so no. I have a little yeah. story, which you might correct me on. That. Yes, I will correct you. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, we've, <laughs> probably 2012 13 somewhere right in there uh i said hey we should make some bitters because I'm, I'm a you know okay i'm already correcting you devotee of the weston price foundation all that too <laughs> so i haven't said anything yet so karen agreed and said let's make some artificial bitters which is actually our first product ever however the first versions were actually quite with, with sugar with sweet uh a sweet and i thought how, that's not my understanding of a, a bitter it's like an aperitif but it's not really a digestive bitter so i'll let you take over the story well, <laughs> no i i just have to add that i grew up with bitters like in european it's a, a common yeah. in, in, in switzerland and italy it's a common thing um there's a very specific bitter like in the county like in switzerland where i grew up the appenzella bitter which has like uh, what 27 or 43 um uh, secret herbs in it like uh, that grow in the alps and yeah. um so that is almost kind of i grew up with that um also being a currency in local pubs for farmers. And like, so it's kind of like, it's, it's embedded in the culture. So yeah. whenever we went to Switzerland, we bought a bottle back. And then the idea was, okay, can we do, instead of buying Swiss bitters and bringing them to California, can we make the California bitter was what we have on the land. So that yeah. was kind of the, the spark. That's yeah. sort of like what they call Paracelsus bitters, right? That's essentially what, probably not the same thing but similar swedish swedish bitters yeah 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 yes yeah you know there's what is it chartreuse the french uh, monks make and i mean that that, that kind of curls your hair if you have a little sip but but they are all sweet too but we took the sugar out mm -hmm. so they're true bitters i mean they really curl your hair in different ways but uh all grown with uh, love and in cosmic harmonic, symphonic, tonic, as we like to call it. Yeah. Uh, and then that is uh, given rise to a, a line of bitters. We have what, four now? Yeah. Yes. We have a so every ingredient in the bitters is grown on your farm. Is that right? Nearly every ingredient. Nearly ever. Um, so every. Um, 
there is juniper berries. We for this right. year we have our first, and we disclose these facts. Like, uh, um, so having said that, our juniper uh, large shrubs at this point are loaded with yeah. berries, so we might have our own berries soon enough this too. Year. But yeah. <laughs> but um, yes, like, and we disclose when something is not grown on the farm. For example, we started only this year um, working with turmeric uh, because there is a big demand and we have um, a sister farm on Molokai, uh, Papuhaku farm. And uh, um, like Ellen, who has been farming for 30 years, like biodynamically, and uh, she provides us with biodynamically grown turmeric. And uh, so th the crucial thing for us is like, if it's not grown on the farm, it has to be a relationship. It's kind of, um, yeah. there has to be, uh, we know where it's coming from. Ideally it's biodynamically grown. If it's not, um, we, we, we just want transparency there, but also um, kind of have more than just a business relationship. And that goes further, like we eventually maybe talk about, we have a farm shop and every item in there like even if it's like little gift items, carved spoons, like they're made from local woods or the artists are all local. So the idea is really that there's a relationship and the same with the plants, like we see the plants uh, in our, on our farm and in our garden, like um, as, as relationships that deepen over the years. And we mainly uh, almost exclusively work with uh, plants that we know and have been knowing this way and uh, getting to know better even. So it's kind of uh, um, more than just growing herbs. Got it. So given that, so you're, you're working with uh, plants that you're growing, but growing in relationship to you and, and to the farm and, and your whole intention. And it's, you know, it's, it's sort of the whole new economy. We're talking really what we're talking about is, is, you know, the old, the old, anonymous economy where nobody knows anybody and nobody's the only intention is to make money so this is a whole different thing so then you you take these and do you have a uh, a system or a scheme of what plants you put together like how do you come to that um we have been farming now what um what do we say like we started 12, sure. 12 okay. like almost the, the last 10 years so there is um, like bee balm, light roots. Um, um, there's herbs that have always been there. And then there's newer herbs, like a, I'm repeating myself. But the idea is like, there's an interest. It starts with a spark that either we encounter that herb elsewhere or we read about it. And then we do um, research and then we buy seeds and then we grow it and then sometimes we fail, sometimes uh, uh, we, it's love on first sight. Um, for example, um, light root was, it took forever to get established on a farm and now we have it everywhere as a weed. It's kind of funny. <laughs> and um, so the, um, it starts with an interest and then it starts um, um, kind of getting to know it. And then intuitively also working and doing research, obviously, inspired by you name it everyone who's out there Veleda Hauschka uh, you um, and and then it happens because it's physically happening so it's not like that we say oh why don't we make blah 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 and then we buy the plants and stuff so it's more like uh, it's the other way around that there's an interest uh, that also can have to do with our biography or people who know is like hey 
um, um, could you help me with this? Could you grow this and this plant? And then, um, so it's kind of, again, it's, it's not, it doesn't come from the head into the garden. It's almost kind of comes from the plant, plant into the head. <laughs> Got it. So if, and so if somebody's looking and they see on your website or are somewhere, there's four different bidders, how do they choose which one to use? Yeah, we have a, a, a cooling bitter, then we actually working on a warming bitter, which sounds funny, but more like a heart bitter. Um, yep. And then we have like a bitter in between that is more balanced. And then um, bitters are usually taken before a meal and uh, stimulate digestion. But we also have then the coriander uh, tonic that is kind of in between that is more like a first aid uh, for people kind of to take it afterwards, which most people actually think bitters are that you basically take a shot like <laughs> when something's wrong with your digestion. But they actually, most of them, um, I should work and are working by taking them before a meal. But so the idea is like uh, uh, cooling, warming, balancing, and then also um, kind of the first aid bitter. Kidneys and all that. Kidneys, well, yes. And um, why would somebody want a cooling bitter? Like what might their experience be? And they would say, mm -hmm. is that like heartburn or what, what would they have? What would be their experience? Well, um, you're asking also biodynamic farmers, if you look at the world right now, like the world is inflamed. Um, we are inflamed, like the, the political climate is inflamed. So there's this um, too much heat um, in a body, uh, which can come by too much stress, uh, by um, dampness, like uh, nutrition, you name it. Um, so someone who, who has a high level of inflammation um, for example, like in their bones, like, you know, arthritis. Um, so you want to um, avoid that inflammation and cooling that heat, like avoid the buildup of the inflammation. And the artichoke bitter is doing this beautifully by um, stimulating the liver, helping with uh, bile production, uh, supporting the gallbladder um, kind of secretion processes. Like, so, so the if someone experiences uh, too much heat and um, and uh, that would be a cooling herb uh, to help. Yeah. You know, I think the Chinese refer to it as draining the swamp. Yeah, oh. perfect. <laughs> Beautiful picture, yeah. So essentially your, your knee is like a swamp. And so, and then stuff starts growing, not because you have quote an infection, but because you have a swamp and everything grows in swamps and we blame it on the fungus, but they're just doing their job, of course. And so if you drain the heat, then the fungus go away or whatever. Um, so yeah. Okay. So we got these bitters and they, they, it sounds to me like they come from a combination of, you know, like book knowledge, a little bit intuitive understanding, and maybe even, like what likes to grow with what and what likes to grow in certain ways. And, and that they tell you in a somehow, let's put us five together. And that's the, they all have an effect on cooling, you know, the tissues or something. Absolutely. I mean, um, the, the book part is also, I studied planetary herbalism, which is uh, based uh, on uh, Michael Tierra's um, online yeah. class. Um, he's local actually in Santa Cruz. Um, so 
what we practice is very much planetary herbalism where we we work with ayurvedic herbs like we work with traditional traditional western like uh, medicine we work with uh, um, tcm traditional chinese medicine so we have we have beings out of those three realms and um by growing them ourselves from seeds they become it sounds funny but they become californian they become of the place um they unfortunately we have like this beautiful climate like uh, yeah. in california where we can grow these beings this morning we just like harvested goto cola and jagulan like because we had the first frost and we have to basically um um save them before the frost but eventually um you you work with the these different realms um and learn from these different realms but then bring them into our terroir like an into onto our land um uh where they then can play together and uh, uh have synergies together and um would culturally and traditionally not be put together yeah and that's a whole different scheme than some company buying from some distributor dried artichoke dried lemon balm dried such and such sticking them in a in a vat and etc yeah, it's a whole different yeah. so do you have any uh any special things you do with as far as what kind of alcohol or what, what or what you soak them in or for how long or related to the moon or jupiter or do you sing to them do you you know dance naked around the artichoke leaves or anything <laughs> like you know anything Maybe you start. I mean, it. yeah, Karen can answer. You don't have to tell us if you dance naked around the artichoke. No, but just, I mean, as an as imaginative picture, if you have a seed that ideally is of the land, you plant that in a certain uh, understanding of rhythm. In other words, you, let's say, might be good to sow uh, before the full moon, uh, a couple of days before the full moon. And also, if it's a, maybe a leaf type plant, you want the leaf from, let's say, Ashitaba, you want to plant that in a leaf constellation. Um, um, so that would be a, a more of a water constellation, I, just, I should say. Um, and you look at not only the moon, the planets, the zodiac, and then if you really want to evolve plants, you look at the Milky Way uh, constellations too. So there's, there's these infinitudes of... Uh, nuance that you can, it's basically if you plant, when you break the soil, you're kind of um, inserting the cosmic influences uh, in that moment. You're kind of allowing those to enter. And when you yeah. sow the seed, you're doing the same thing. So if you can do that with intention and understanding, uh, it, you have a completely different relationship to that plant. And the plant has a different relationship to your garden, which is what Karen was saying earlier. Um, I just wanted to add that little picture in there and maybe you want to talk about the alcohol and all that. Yeah. We, we don't generally dance naked, but uh, <laughs> every once in a while. Um, well, this is this only is on Thursdays. Only on Thursdays, <laughs> exactly. Jupiter, so. um, this is a big topic, obviously. Um, like the, the time of the day when we harvest is very crucial. Um, the and we also make um, a lot of hydrosols so like the the temperature of the day is very important 
Um, we, in the morning, uh, aerial parts like flowers and leaves, like depending on the oil content closer to noon um, and afternoon um, seed and root parts. So this afternoon we'll harvest more elecampane, maybe marshmallow, um, echinacea. Um, so there's, there's a clear rhythm of the farm where we breathe in and breathe out with the, the beings like the plants and we respect when uh, we harvest when the chi is the strongest. Um, so that's one part. The other part is you were asking about, um, um, do, we, <laughs> do we sing to them? Um, when we start working in the morning, we have uh, young people working with us, then we have a check-in. There's everyone shares how they are. Um, after that, we do sparkles, it's called, which is a blessing of the garden where uh, we bless all beings like and all kingdoms on the farm and the elemental beings who help us um, um, working, like being good stewards on the farm. So there is a, a, a ritual there that we do every morning. We also do it at the, at the kitchen where we um, value add things. Um, a while ago, like a few years ago, we were introduced to Enzo Nastati and maybe Delma can talk more about him. But um, he even encouraged us kind of when you um, add the alcohol to the glass container, then invite the alcohol to the mineral kingdom to the glass container. So there's definitely, um, there is, um, as a small farm, there is a strong financial pressure there to survive. Yeah. And at the same time, there is like, uh, for us, it's extremely important that that doesn't become the energy on the farm, that there is um, an energy of um, we doing sacred work on the farm. Um, and we are part of that synergy. Um, so what we have been doing, for example, before we shipped your um, bitters and uh, Ashitaban Jagolan tinctures, they were each like uh, package was for an hour, like uh, in a frame, that's a device by Enzo. So they were energized like for an hour. Um, we, for, for years we had to use um, alcohol in plastic containers, even though they were industrial strengths, yada, yada, yada. So we totally moving out of plastic on the farm. Uh, everything is in glass containers. Um, so all these things are energetic and uh, eventually um, make a difference. Like, so time of harvest, um, the energy, like uh, the environment. Um, um, and do you use yeah, like grain cool. alcohol or grape alcohol or do you find it matters or doesn't matter? Or? It does matter. And um, in the beginning it was, um, okay. it was, no, we still, we still do cane alcohol. Um, we, in the beginning, we switched around a bit. And again, there's financial kind of, it's like, okay, what yeah. can we afford, right? But then um, we, we are exclusively working with cane alcohol um, because it's, it's a bit softer. It's like yeah. a grain alcohol. I always feel like uh, I'm drinking kind of a shot of grappa <laughs> or like uh, grape alcohol, I mean. And uh, so we work with um, one provider of alcohol, um, Organics, organic. <laughs> yeah, organic solutions, what's kind of uh, a chemical solutions like up in Oregon. Um, our dream is to work with um, Gina Nonini, like uh, with biodynamic alcohol, but um, that hasn't happened yet. Or are 
biggest dream is yeah true you mentioned yacon earlier the mm -hmm. plant from the peru uh, andes um that is a sugar tuber um and we have actually had a neighbor double distill alcohol out of that um yeah. and it, it could work either that and or uh topinambur which is a sun choke tourism artichoke we also grow that but uh all we we are limited by our time and um all that but there's still a goal to get our own alcohol uh, from our own product. yeah and one more thing um there is a um obviously a timeline at least one month like one moon cycle um it cannot always happen exactly on a new moon that you start a tincture on a new moon and then um have it go through the full moon and then kind of strain it on the next new moon uh, but we always do like at least one moon cycle and at least like one full moon kind of as part of the process um, we do certain stirrings, kind of like lemniscates, like, uh, and um, so there's definitely um, a level above the, there's a metaphysical above the physical, for sure. Got it. All right. Tell us uh, whatever you know about working with Ashitaba and what you found out and maybe what it's done or not done for people or anything you've discovered. Um. I think I start this with like we harvested um, the leaves that can get massive, right? Like yeah. uh, one day, and one wasn't so pretty, but we just put it on the side and forgot about it. I wanted to give it to the rabbits or to the cows. Anyway, it was kind of sitting under um, a piece of cardboard, and um, it kind of wanted to grow again. It came kind of like out of the the the, the cardboard that part of the plant. Um, I don't know if it was a it was a, it wasn't an entire plant but no it was like a it chewed off a chewed off yeah i think a gopher got it yeah a gopher got it so it's just like so that plant it just shows you what incredible life force that plant has yeah. um and even when you look at it it has this kind of uh, massive leaves and and beautiful fleshy stems and uh, so and swellings yeah the, the swellings of the the, the joints the nodes yeah, yeah the nodes um and now it's tomorrow like leaf. Yeah, they call it tomorrow leaf because if you grow cut the leaf, yes. Tomorrow, yes. theoretically, yeah. Yeah, well, that is something that we don't experience, but what we do experience is kind of um, the it it gives you another tomorrow. <laughs> so I'm saying that because of the life force that it has. Um, the way we we dry it, um, we have a solar dehydrator. We also have like a um, a, a temperature controlled like electric dehydrator. But when it keeps like its incredible um, greenness from the chlorophyll that it has, like it's super rich in chlorophyll, kind of, um, yeah. which is the 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 hint to the blood. Um, so when you grind it up, you get this like super green powder, which yeah. is um, um, when you cut the stem. Um, it kind of starts bleeding almost like in a neon yellow sap. Yeah. And uh, um, so when we harvest the leaf, we not only um, process kind of the leaf, the, the, the stem is actually equally, if not more important. That, so we process um, um, the entire aerial part. Um, so what we've learned is like uh, the way people have been using our products uh, is kind of, it gives them a lot of energy yeah um it's blood building it's um cooling again you have like uh for um anti-inflammatory um conditions like uh um it works um 
it does work on um, the joints because I mean, if you look at the, the beautiful yeah. um, doctrine of signatures again, um, you should definitely not take it later in the day if you're sensitive because um, the amount of chlorophyll um, and there you should talk on it, but like uh, is really um, stimulating. It's like uh, it keeps people awake, uh, awake in a sense of it really, uh, it's um, energizes, um, stimulates um, people. The feedback is also, and that's how I experience it. Um, it feels um, purifying. Yeah, it kind of works on the blood, um, and. Um, what else to say about ashitaba? Um, we we have a line of fermented yeah, fermented true, foods too. Um, sauerkraut's jun, uh, which is kombucha, but instead of black yeah. tea and sugar, it's green tea and honey. Mm -hmm. uh, uh Anyway, we make a. It's called tomorrow's kraut. Appropriately, uh, it's a cabbage and ashitaba leaves. Oh. Uh, it's it's a yeah. nice one. Yeah. yeah, we also, I mean, uh, when we done our research about Ashitaba, we learned that um, it grows on an island 200 miles south of the Japanese coast. And um, I don't know if I pronounce this right, but Hachicho. And, uh, and they did research like uh, on the uh, lifespan of um, the people yeah. who live on that island and found out that um, Ashitaba was um, a crucial part of their diet. Like, uh, so um and um we have a bit we haven't done it yet but we dream of um ashitaba shots instead of espresso shots <laughs> like have our little coffee shop or wheatgrass like wheatgrass like so yeah. ashitaba shots um we like juiced ashitaba yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. juiced ashitaba yeah. yeah i never tried to juice it that's an interesting idea yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it has a sure kind of a bizarre taste i would say yeah yeah like you wouldn't you don't go away from it saying wow that's really good tasting stuff <laughs> it's yeah. it's different than that but it's you know it, I, I think it's one of the real nutritional plants ever really yeah i mean not that we can make that claim obviously but like uh, um it is part of our adaptogen blend and um we have customers who take it for um cancer and um, with beautiful results. So it is considered highly anti-carcinogenic, but like uh, yeah. um, th that feedback we got that people respond really well to it. Yeah. Okay, and maybe let's finish. There's another one that I don't know much about and I, I can't even say the name, but it's an adaptogen blue something that I- Maybe Jagulan? Yeah. That's yeah. So that- Plant has an interesting history. It's uh, not as well known as, as you know, not because it's not an incredibly powerful herb. It just was in a remote part of China and it wasn't until whatever, a hundred plus years ago that it was uh, discovered by outsiders to that region. Uh -huh. So the original idea was to make it, it if you take taste the leaf, um, <laughs> speaking of interesting, it's very complex, but it's, it's sweet. Yeah. So someone had the bright idea of making sugar out of it but it wasn't economically viable because it's not quite sweet enough for a sugar uh, substitute. But in the process of uh, researching that plant, they discovered it has many of the same components as ginseng, yeah. uh, ginsenoid, I guess they're called. And it's in the, funny enough, it's in the cucumber, cucurbit 
family. So it's kind of a squash relative, but it's this elegant and kind of delicate vine that clambers up things. It has little tendrils and also a hand-shaped leaf. Uh, it grows very well for us here. Um, we first saw it in Germany at a farm, an amazing farm over in, um, it's called Andreas Hof, Hof Farm um, in Southern Germany. And they were, I, in Europe, it's much, it's taking off as, as a real, um, well, if, it's, if it has many of the same attributes as ginseng and it's much easier to grow, um, obviously it has a lot of potential. So we, we've been working with that and it's one of, become one of our favorite herbs. And I'm sure you can add a lot more. Can you, um, can you spell the name for us again? Yeah, let's see. J-I-A-O-G-U. L A N A N and, and it's yeah. the genus is gynostema or gynostema yeah, right. <laughs> and pentaphyllum or pentaphyllum five five leaves and um the it's it's a, it's again a beautiful vine um the cool thing is it, it's hardy so it will just it will die back but it'll come back it's a perennial yeah. and if you give it a shady spot like uh, um it can take over uh, an entire whatever chicken coop or like a part of the side of your house and you just eat it like fresh every day like three leaves like it's traditionally people drink it as tea in southern china um we just preserve um down the road we really would like um to learn how to preserve without alcohol because alcohol works on the ego um but uh, at this point um that's our way to preserve it drying it and uh, in alcohol um, it has this, um, again, um, divine kind of um, circulatory system. It really works beautifully uh, on blood pressure. Uh -huh. like, uh, and it's an intelligent herb. So there's kind of um, less intelligent herbs, like comfrey is this kind of, I must build tissue. And it does that regardless wherever and however, and it just does it. <laughs> yeah. And then there's intelligent herbs, like yarrow is a good example, where it regulates blood, like uh, wherever there's too much, like it regulates wherever there's too little, it regulates. And Jagalan is one of them. It's like an adaptogen. And it really beautifully regulates um, blood pressure, works on the heart. It works on the liver as well. It's slightly bitter. Um, and the trippy thing is it totally works on um, jet lag. So the wow. last time we, we traveled internationally right before COVID, that was we were going to Italy. And um, we took it uh, three days before we traveled and while we were there kind of 10 days and then again on the way back in zero jet lag. Wow. That was incredible. Yeah, and, that's um, great to know. <laughs> yeah, well. Not that anybody know. travels anymore. But exactly, say. yeah. Yeah. But to me, that's, that's just an indication um, how it works on the physical and then on the metaphysical, on the um yeah. etheric body etc it's just like uh it's um how plants have a, a physical activity and then they have a metaphysical activity as well as do we absolutely all right i think that answers the question anybody who now thinks that that the uh herbs that you're making the tinctures are the same as everybody else i think now knows very differently and why we decided to uh, partner with you in this to help people know about what you're doing. 
So I really appreciate both of you spending some time explaining this to people. And we are really looking forward to working together. Same here, Tom. And thank, thank you, you for all that you do and inspiring me and Karen over the years and, yeah. and many, many others. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. All right. Yeah. You guys all right. take care and uh, all the best. We'll be in touch. Okay. Cool. You thank too. you. Bye-bye.